If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar. Since 2021, it's been a bit of a tradition on the podcast to check in on the well-being of the healthcare workforce, both from a national perspective and from the Nemours point of view. We're continuing that tradition today by talking with Nemours Chief Wellbeing Officer, Dr. Maureen Leffler. Together, we explore the burnout that is plaguing the healthcare workforce and what Nemours is doing to counteract that. We'll get an update on the Enterprise Peer Support Program launched in 2020, now open to all associates, and the newly created Nemours Center for Associate Wellbeing. So, Dr. Leffler, what is the state of well-being of the healthcare workforce, including our own? I wish at this point I had better news. I don't think that the well-being at Nemours varies from other healthcare organizations. And I think in general, healthcare, the healthcare workforce is struggling. And the data really holds across the country that physicians, clinicians, nurses, therapists, are struggling. And one of the best studied domains of well-being is burnout, which, as you know, is an occupational distress syndrome, not a reflection of individual deficits or lack of resilience. But the toll that working in healthcare takes on the individual manifests in individual symptoms, such as emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and a decreased sense of self-efficacy. And we know and can say that based on the data nationally, and the consistency between national data and what we've studied at Nemours, probably somewhere between 45 to 55% of our associates are experiencing at least one symptom of burnout on any given day. And so most people that work at Nemours are experiencing that particular occupational syndrome. And we're not alone. This is common in healthcare environments right now. And there's a lot of work that's being done across healthcare to see what we can do to treat the distress, prevent the distress, and to change our culture and change our work environments to be one where people can come to work and thrive as professionals. Let's go quickly through what some of the signs of burnout are. Well, it's characterized by emotional exhaustion, which basically can be a numbing to feeling. It's characterized by desensitization or cynicism. And sometimes people ask what that means exactly. and It can show up as objectifying what you do, taking your human self out of it, not seeing your patients in the same humanistic light that we prefer to. It's a protective mechanism and decreased sense of self-efficacy. How that shows up would be just feeling like no matter what you do in a day that's good, there's so much stuff that's not going that well. That's the overwhelming feeling of just not doing enough, not being enough. I think it's really important to emphasize that those are the ways people who are experiencing burnout feel, but it's not because 
they are not resilient, not mindful, or weak. We know that burnout is specifically an occupationally induced syndrome. It results from that person interacting in their work environment. Outside of work, the symptoms are not an issue, although burnout can impact life outside of work. The drivers of burnout are largely based on our system. So how we work, what we have to do our work, a chronic imbalance between the resources available to us and what's being asked of us at work. So some of the things that also contribute are autonomy at work, flexibility at work, leadership styles, your ability to find or be reminded of the meaning in your work, inclusivity, having a workspace that's psychologically safe, having a workspace where differences are embraced and equity is foundational are important to create a workspace that promotes well-being. Things that drive burnout can also be tools to create a workspace that promotes thriving. So the EHR can be a barrier to efficiency, can be frustrating, can decrease your meaning in work because you're spending more time focused on a computer screen and an inbox rather than patient-facing time. And when technology is leveraged well and made to work for clinicians, it can free you up to spend more time with your patients, more time reading, researching, teaching, doing the things that do give us meaning in our work. So the HR is not singularly to blame. It is how it functions and if, it, if it's working for us or not for us. Having said that, different people and different teams and different parts of our organization use technology differently and need different things from their technology. So there's not a one-size-fits-all, get rid of the EHR, or a one-size-fits-all, do this with the EHR, and everybody will be better. Um, it's really figuring out how do we manipulate the tools that we have or get rid of the barriers that exist at the local level. So what's going to work for the rheumatologist might be very different than what's going to work for the intensivist. Some examples are inbox management. Um, clinicians spend a ton of time going through their inbox, reviewing results, um, responding to results, reacting to results, answering patient messages, entering phone messages, and documenting. Many of those activities are non-RVU generating, and they take an awful lot of time. So they decrease time dedicated to things that are counted as productivity measures. They take a lot of time to do, and there's a lot at stake with our inbox management. There's labs in there, there's patients that want answers. So that's where patient experience and quality and safety are important, but there's only so much one clinician can do in the time allotted to them to do their work. So doing a lot of EHR work overnight, weekends, when you're not seeing patients is a definite driver of burnout. It takes away from your family time, self-care time, recreational time, whatever it is. Let me ask about something that you started really when the pandemic was uh, probably about a year old. You weren't too far into your role at this point, and that was the, the peer support. How is that going? Give us a little primer on what that is and where it stands right now. The peer support program's thriving. It's doing great. We just completed another training for about 25 more associates to join the peer support team. When we started peer support in 2020, we were receiving an average of a half a call per week, and we are up to supporting three associates per week currently. It's being used more, and it's being used well. We've heard from our associates anecdotally a lot of positive feedback 
about the impact of talking to a peer supporter. People find it helpful, useful. We've had repeat users, so people will call back to receive peer support because they know it's been helpful in the past. And we recently studied our peer supporters to see how they were doing. We wanted to make sure that being a peer supporter was not a burden to them or causing them any emotional distress. And what we learned was that our peer supporters find great meaning in being a part of our peer support program. They feel more valued as employees in our organization than the average employee based on our own well-being survey from last year. And they are less significantly less likely to report having a symptom of burnout. So somewhere about a third of our peer supporters reported experiencing at least one symptom of burnout compared to somewhere, again, around 50 plus percent of other associates experiencing burnout. So they seem to fare well, which isn't surprising because we are an organization made up of people who really find a lot of meaning in caring for others. And being a peer supporter is a wonderful and beautiful way to care for your colleagues, which all of us, I think, do pretty naturally. Now, if I recall, peer support, it, when it launched, was mostly for hands-on clinicians, maybe just MDs. Is that expanded? Yep. Peer support is available to all associates. It's free. It's confidential. Our peer support pool is made up of clinical and non-clinical associates. When somebody reaches out for peer support or is referred for peer support, we try to pair the person who will provide support to them with a similar role. So for example, we love to have a nurse provide support to a fellow nurse or a physician provide support to a fellow physician. We also have some peer supporters who are very comfortable providing support to any associate who's experienced mistreatment based on differences. So we really try to honor and support our associates who've had that experience at Nemours. As you know, peer support is not therapy. It is a very specific process of empathetic listening, reframing, checking on coping skills, coping plans, and providing other resources as needed. It's based on the stress first aid model or psychological first aid, which is also based on a stress continuum, with the goal being that we know things at work can be stressful and we have some normal stress reactions that sometimes can be helpful, sometimes can be a little harmful. But if we don't intervene, seek support or provide support when associates are experiencing stress at a certain level or chronic stress, we put those associates at risk for sort of worsening stress reactions, acute stress reactions and chronic stress reactions. And that's really the goal of peer support is to provide support earlier, sooner, to encourage help seeking, to maybe be a bridge to other help or support that associates may benefit from, really to prevent them from developing more long-term stress reactions. And there's so much more that you're doing. I understand that you and your team have created the Nemours Center for Associate Wellbeing. Talk about that. We're really excited that we have a more formal structure that houses all of the work that we're doing. It gives us scaffolding to organize all of our programming and resources. It gives us some scaffolding to have a little bit more presence in the organization. So by creating this, our center, we're able to share what our mission is, how we think we're going to get there, what our strategic plan is, share data about what we've learned about our associates, share information about programming, and also ask people to reach out to us to join us, to be a part of our work, to get resources, to learn ways that they might be able to help their own team. So it really is one way to 
kind of organize us and make us accessible, visible, and hopefully more effective. Our strategic approach is threefold. And I mentioned that overall, our mission is to promote well-being for all of our associates. So the way we do this varies depending on what's going on and who, who our associates are. First and foremost, we need to be resourced to treat distress when it arises and give our associates the individual resources that they need to take care of themselves. And that varies from person to person. So individual wellness is one strategic bucket of our overall well-being plan. Historically, this is where a lot of resources have gone in healthcare organizations aimed at individual level wellness. And that hasn't really been all that effective or helpful in moving the needle on burnout in the, within an organization or promoting well-being. So the other areas that we're focusing our efforts are developing a culture of wellness and improving efficiency of practice. So these are more systems-oriented ways of thinking with the belief that if we modify the system or the environment that our individuals are working in, the impact will be greater because we know that burnout and distress is a result of their interaction with their environment. It's time to start targeting the environment. So our peer support program is a great example of building a culture of wellness. By implementing a peer support program, we are acknowledging that emotional distress happens at work. The work we do is hard at its best. On the most ordinary of days, it's hard. And we can anticipate that people will suffer. And when the unexpected or unanticipated happens, it's that much more difficult. So putting things in place in our system, like peer support, is really a way of changing our culture to one where we norm help-seeking, norm self-compassion, norm compassion for our colleagues, say that we are no longer comfortable with a culture defined by emotional exhaustion, and that we really want to promote a culture that prioritizes self-care. So we're open to some vulnerability and to some help-seeking. The other culture wellness type of work that we're doing that I'm really excited about has been bringing a well-being psychologist onto our team. So we have two positions. The Florida position is filled by Dr. Missy Rothman. She's been a wonderful addition to our well-being team. She is a psychologist with extensive experience working in healthcare systems and with provider burnout and well-being. She has joined us as the well-being psychologist in Florida as of the fall of 2022. And so she's a wonderful resource for individual associates to reach out to, to talk to her, to kind of get some ideas about what might be helpful for them to care for themselves. And she also works with groups to do some diagnostics on their groups and also some skill building around well-being for the group. Further, she's available if we have any associates who we fear are in crisis or in urgent need of support. She's available to help us in those situations. She's wonderful. As a human, we're grateful to have her. And I think she's been a welcome addition to our team and embraced by a lot of the Florida associates who've interacted with her. Her area of expertise, her PhD research was in positive psychology. And so she's also helping us to try to share some positive psychology literature and resources for folks to look at and think about, trying to, you know, do some skill building around mindset shift in the face of some tough times. So having a psychologist on site to support associates is another step in growing a culture of wellness at Nemours that we're actively working on. And then efficiency of practice and culture of wellness work 
is coming out of two other programs that we have going on. One is the Wellbeing Coalition, which is made up of our wellbeing liaisons, and the other is our Clinician Wellbeing Leads Program. So our Clinician Wellbeing Leads are 14 physicians and advanced practice providers from across the organization who are dedicating a little bit of their time with the support of their division chief and department chairs to specifically understanding the well-being needs of their team, of their groups, and looking for opportunities to intervene, make a change with the support of their division chief department chairs that would be in the name of promoting well-being for their entire team, while also serving as a touch point to learn about our resources, share information about our resources. So they really are as individuals, representative of building a culture of wellness and looking for opportunities to improve efficiency of practice or get rid of the pebbles in the shoes that can really drive burnout. So I'm really excited about that program. One of the major goals with that program is to measure impact of their work in their teams or for their groups. And they work with Holly and Alfred, who are directors of clinician well-being. That's Dr. Antel and Dr. Rotonda. So, Dr. Leffler, what's on the horizon in the near term, three to six months, or the longer term, a year or longer, in terms of assuring the well-being of our associates? I'm really excited about the work that we've started in 2022 with Clinician Wellbeing and our Wellbeing Coalition. The Wellbeing Coalition includes liaisons from across the organization, clinical and non-clinical. We're continuing the work of the coalition. We're broadening the work of the clinician leads. And we're also continuing some larger scale projects that were taken on in 2022. My hope is that the programming that we have in place in 2023 is done in a way that it demonstrates that when we tackle work units or specific groups, well-being, by looking at what their specific drivers are, looking for opportunities to improve well-being for that group or team, we can start to make small but measurable positive impacts for that group or team. And my hope is that as we demonstrate that and we start to see some changes that impact groups or teams, more will join us and we'll learn things from the individual teams or work units that can be broadened a little bit more across the organization or escalated to be broader projects across the organization. So my hope is that as we do things, well-being becomes further and further integrated into different groups, different teams, and taken on as a core value in all the work that people do. So that we're always asking in every clinical and non-clinical group, what is the impact on our associates of this strategy, of this decision, of this change? Um, so it's incorporated. Well-being is not a goal that happens in isolation or in a silo. We don't fix well-being in our group while other people work on quality and safety or diversity, equity, inclusion, or patient experience. All of these things are interconnected. So as our diversity, equity, inclusion work matures and grows, as our patient experience team continues to provide amazing support for patient experience, as our quality and safety approach improves and changes over time, I think all of these initiatives woven together create an organization where we will experience more well-being. When we feel that we're not providing the safest or highest quality of care, when we are not equitable in our own organization or providing care that models health equity, when we know that our patient experience could be better if we had different staffing or 
different resources available. When we know that stuff is not great, we experience moral distress. It decreases the meaning that we find in our work. When we're all pulling together to improve all of the quintuple lanes of healthcare, well-being improves also. So I think that as we shore up the work we're doing in these areas, we'll also see well-being improve. What I think I'm hearing is that well-being needs to be baked into everything Mm -hmm. from the start. So when you're thinking about a change and you're doing a change control plan, well-being of the associates who are implementing this and the workload to whom that work will be assigned, their well-being needs to be considered as things are being planned. That's exactly right. And well-being, not just will they have work-life balance, like will they be able to leave work and go home and do self-care, but well-being, like do they have the resources, including time, space, equipment to do this job in a way that's not frustrating, not redundant, that there's not too much of a cognitive load where we're not asking people to task switch multiple times. It's really well-being in a very holistic sense. And yes, baking well-being into all that we do is really important. Having our leaders embrace well-being as a core value at Nemours and integrating that into their own goals and strategic commitments will be very, very helpful because it really kind of creates a shared responsibility for the well-being of all our associates that's essential to changing how we do the Sentinemores. And ultimately, having a workforce that is well helps the patient experience and ultimately patients and patient goals clinically. It helps everything. It helps decrease cost. It helps improve quality and safety. It helps the patient experience. A well workforce is a diverse and equitable workforce, which we know improves health equity. It's essential to meeting all of our mission-critical goals. Dr. Maureen Leffler is the Chief Wellbeing Officer for Nemours Children's Health. Learn more about the work she and her team are doing to help you and your team be well by checking out the links in the show notes for this episode. The Nemours Podcast is excited to bring you stories and information just like this, and we'd love to hear from you about what you'd like to hear on the podcast. Email podcast at Nemours.org. That's podcast at Nemours.org. Many thanks to the production team this week, Rachel Salas-Silverman, Cheryl Mon, and Che Parker. The podcast is found on Nemoors.net, the Nemours Now app, and your favorite podcast app, along with your smart speaker. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Turner's Falls, Massachusetts. I'm Carol Vassar, and on behalf of Dr. Maureen Leffler, we thank you for listening.